You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Sophie is off tonight and I'll start with a warning that our top story contains both disturbing details and images. Five officers in Memphis, Tennessee are facing charges of second degree murder in the death of 29 year old Tyree Nichols, a man they pulled over originally for a traffic violation. Police body cam footage of what happened has just been released, sparking tremendous backlash. Eric Sorensen reports. Justice for Tyree! Justice for Tyree! A grief-stricken memorial for another young black man in America who died after being arrested by police in Memphis. 29-year-old Tyree Nichols was pulled over in his car January 7th. The confrontation left Nichols badly beaten in hospital. He died three days later. Five Memphis police officers, all black, have now been charged with second-degree murder and other charges. Memphis police have now released video of the confrontation, a warning the images are disturbing. Body cam video shows police confronting Nichols and appear to pepper spray him. Nichols breaks free and runs. Police gave chase. They caught him and police began striking him. The pictures, and we're not showing them, only get worse. As the family lawyer described it, the young man was defenseless. He was defenseless. As the family lawyer described what happened, Nichols' mother was in anguish. Unabashed, nonstop beating of this young boy for three minutes. Oh, my God. Rovon Wells said later she couldn't bear to watch it through. Once I heard my son say, what did I do? I just, I lost it. It is unbearable for a mother. Do you know how I feel right now? Because I wasn't there for my son. Nichols' death, another case of a young black man dying from the actions of police, is a symptom of what experts call systemic racism. Regardless of whether the officers are black officers or white officers, uh, I think that's a very simplistic understanding. And there's a much more profound problem about the nature of policing itself that I think we need to think about. The family's lawyer says in this case, a group of black police officers was arrested and charged quickly and that all police should face similar accountability from now on. This is the blueprint going forward for any time, any officers, whether they be black or white, will be held accountable. Other cases of police brutality caught on camera have led to violent protests, from Rodney King in Los Angeles 30 years ago to George Floyd in Minneapolis in 2020. And that is the fear once more. Tyree Nichols' stepfather is asking the public not to turn violent when they see the disturbing video. We do not want any type of uproar. We do not want any type of disturbance. We want peaceful protests. Nichols' family says nothing can bring back their son, but they are satisfied with the charges that have been laid. This just shouldn't have happened. And we want justice for my son. Eric Sorensen, Global News. That video only released a couple of hours ago. And for more, let's bring in our Travis Prasad outside Vancouver Police Headquarters. Travis, this has sparked a local response as well. What are VPD saying? Yeah, Chris, uh, police here are preparing for any large-scale protests that may arise in the wake of this video being released. Tyree Nichols' mother and stepfather, we heard them calling for peace, but we also saw in Eric Sorensen's report how some protests, uh, most recently after the killing of George Floyd, got out of control south of the border. There were also protests here in Canada 
after George Floyd was killed in 2020. Most of those protests remained largely uh, peaceful. There were two in Vancouver alone. There were very large gatherings, thousands of people downtown denouncing racism and police brutality. Those events, along with similar demonstrations all across Canada, were largely peaceful. But as body cam video of Tyree Nichols' arrest is made public, police agencies across the continent are now bracing for the possibility of large-scale unrest. And that includes the Vancouver Police Department. Here's what they have to say. As all major cities are preparing for protests uh, this weekend in light of what happened, it's prudent for us here at the VPD to prepare as well, uh, should anything arise. We fully support people's rights to protest, to express their views peacefully. Uh, we plan for and prepare for almost 800 protests a year. So this is something that's very familiar to us and that we always have a plan for and we're always prepared. So that body cam video of Tyree Nichols' arrest and fatal beating was released uh, just a couple hours ago in four parts on YouTube by Memphis police. At this point, there's no word of any demonstrations planned here in response to that video, but that could change as we head into the weekend. Chris. And as always, we'll appeal for calm. Travis, thank you very much. Now, another story that includes some disturbing video. A Vancouver mother wants answers after her 12-year-old autistic son was handcuffed on the floor of BC Children's Hospital by two transit police officers. She says the officers should have done a better job de-escalating the situation. Sarah McDonald has her story, including the perspective from police. Take the handcuffs off my kids. Sorry, are you a mom? I'm the parent. The footage was filmed inside BC Children's Hospital on Thursday evening by Maya, the mother of the 12-year-old boy in handcuffs, being restrained by transit police. I didn't want to be that person to post a video about the police because they've helped me, but <laughs> just one sound of my kid whining and I turn around and he's on the ground. You're a little too much. This is too much. An incident distressing for any child and parent, exacerbated by the fact that Maya's son has autism. Anthony, uh, can you take the handcuffs off my kid, please? She says she started filming the second time her son was placed in handcuffs. The footage since posted and widely circulated on social media, sparking outrage and many questions. To de-escalate that situation, they could have used their words first. They really could have. They could have, they could have talked to my kid. Um, he listens. The Provincial Health Services Authority had questions too after seeing the footage on Friday, referring Global News to transit police for further comment, citing patient confidentiality and saying what's seen in the footage is the result of an incident that started at a SkyTrain station. The officers seen here ultimately escorting Maya and her son to hospital after he was apprehended under the Mental Health Act. They're treating him like he's like a little criminal. In a written statement, Metro Vancouver Transit Police told Global News, quote, once the youth arrived at hospital, handcuffs were initially removed, but were temporarily reapplied when the youth became combative. Once he had calmed down, the handcuffs were removed and the youth was admitted to hospital. That's really distressing to me it, um, as a parent of a child who also has autism. This is a parent's worst nightmare. Autism rights advocate Louise Witt, whose son is autistic, says situations like this can often be avoided through de-escalation tactics. I'm sorry, can you wait outside? I, I'm not comfortable with you in the room. They have to have some very specific training about how people with autism might present and how they can um, 
best interact with them. Maya agrees, calling for more sensitivity and education when it comes to dealing with children with autism in general. I had to video record. I'm sorry, I had to video record. I, because you can't do that behind closed doors. Are you okay? Are you okay? To avoid situations like this. Sarah McDonald, oh Global God, News. I can't believe I did that. It was a quiet, somber beginning today to the inquest into the death of Vancouver Police Constable Nicole Chan. The session started with a minute of silence on the fourth anniversary of the day she took her own life. As Romina Dea reports, the inquest heard from the hospital psychiatrist who released Chan from hospital and the officer who drove her home the day before she died. And a warning again, some of the details might be disturbing to hear. Surrey Police Inspector Novi Jetty, who was in VPDHR at the time, dropped Constable Nicole Chan off at her home after she was released from hospital following a potential suicide. Chan promising she wouldn't hurt herself. A few hours later, Chan was found hanging from the bedroom door in her apartment. She was 30 years old. Jetty questioned about her text message to Sergeant Dave Van Patten the following day. Jetty, hey buddy, how are you doing? Van Patten, I did care for her, Novi, even after all the sh she caused. Jetty, I know you did care about her. More texts three days after Constable Chan took her life. Jetty, she was troubled for a long time. There was nothing anyone could do. Jetty testified the intent was to provide Van Patten with support. It was her job. We heard evidence at the inquest that Chan felt coerced into having sex with Van Patten because he was threatening to release photos of her genitals. Chan frustrated. No criminal charges were ever laid. Van Patten was ultimately dismissed. Serious questions also being raised about why Chan was released from BGH one hour and 20 minutes after she was triaged. Chan threatening to kill herself with a dog leash and in possession of a large knife and scissors, testified her boyfriend. Police officers, paramedics and friends said they had great concerns about Chan being discharged from hospital given her history of suicide attempts. Psychiatrist Dr. Kiran Sayaparaju told the inquest jury he did not have all the information and Chan told him she did not try to kill herself. He testified he could not legally hold Chan against her will. Somebody who was in and around uh, because of her occupation, Section 28 calls, knowing uh, what information is important to uh, physicians to know uh, when deciding whether or not to detain someone. Is the current system that we have in place uh, a model that fits every type of patient that, brings, that is brought in under Section 28? The psychiatrist said he offered Chan the opportunity to stay in hospital for a few days voluntarily, but Chan declined. She said she already had a treatment plan in place. Romina Dea, Global News. Premier David Eby is adding a few special advisors to his government to tackle the province's highest priority issues. The advisors will work alongside the ministers, but they'll report to the premier's office. And as Richard Zussman reports, the positions come with a pretty high price tag. Help is on the way, or is it 
helps is on the way. Housing is a really big issue. It's one of the biggest issues facing us and we need all hands on deck. Premier David Eby has hired a group of new advisors, separate from the advice he receives from his ministers and the public service. Former First Nation Chief Doug White is the advisor on reconciliation, paid $275,000 a year. The head of the province's vaccine rollout, Dr. Penny Ballum, now the Premier's advisor on health, at a part-time salary of $165,000 a year. And former Victoria Mayor Lisa Helps, at $80,000 for a six-month contract, is the housing advisor. Very clearly focused on BC Builds, which is a new program that the NDP government is setting up. And while these advisors are reporting right here to the Premier's office, so do the ministers. And so far, both the Minister of Health and the Minister of Housing aren't expressing concerns about these new roles. I think it's great news that she's involved even more. Uh, I encourage it. I support it. I love it. He's got a couple of special advisors that are helping with key projects. Uh, there's a lot of work to do. The new job's a sign of power consolidating in a growing Premier's office. You know, there's a long history of people looking for outside advice outside of the civil service, uh, royal commissions and the like. But in those cases, they're often a bit more public, a bit more transparent, a bit more engaged. Housing, health care, public safety and First Nations reconciliation, all core priorities for the government. But critics wonder... Why hire advisors when you already pay others to provide similar advice? I think there's a lot to be cynical about with uh, these appointments. Uh, and one of the, the biggest one is the lack of transparency that this can lead to and, and the multiple layers of decision making that uh, uh, we're not sure who will actually be in charge of any particular file. John Horgan had special advisors as well. Carol James providing wide guidance after leaving elected office. Her salary? A dollar a year. Richard Zosman, Global News, Victoria. Quite the difference. And for more, let's bring in our Keith Baldry from Victoria. Keith, this move highlights Premier Eby's leadership style, which mm -hmm. I know you'll point out is different from what we saw from John Horgan. Yeah, markedly different. I remember back at the beginning of the pandemic, almost three years ago, back in March 2020, John Horgan called me into his office and said, I won't be running this thing. I'm not going to be out there in front of the TV cameras all the time. I'm going to give my ministers the room to move here. And he gave his ministers a long, long leash. Uh, it's changed now to David Eby. This, as Richard pointed out, the Premier's office becoming more uh, centralized, more consolidated, and having more people there. Uh, special advisors are kind of an American model where you see the U.S. president, for example, or governors, they have special Special advisors over and above their cabinet. I wouldn't read terribly much into this. Penny Ballum, for example, is very close to Health Minister Adrian Dix. Dix hired her twice for important jobs, so he basically has a set of eyes in the Premier's office now. But it is a different model. David Eby is up front and center at news conferences right now. He has to get his his uh, image out there. He's not as well known as some of his cabinet counterparts or as John Horgan. That's part of the exercise here as well. And I know some of these appointments are temporary. We'll see if this goes on for the the term, the entire term of his tenure uh, in the premier's office, or this becomes an entrenched form of governing. But right now, it's much different than John Horgan, mm -hmm. much more focused on the premier's office. Certainly is, and we'll see if it's more effective. We'll find out, mm -hmm. I guess. Thank you, Keith. Communities where it's hard to find a home. A data analyst crunches the numbers to find cities most supportive of purpose-built rentals. Some are actually really good. Others, not so much. That's next on the News Hour. 10 years ago on Jimmy Fallon's Tonight Show. Plus, hey, the hilarious result of Blue Jay superstar Vladdy Guerrero trying to say Saskatoon. 
That's coming up later as well. Right now, though, it is no secret affordable rental housing on B.C.'s south coast is scarce. And now data from the Canada Mortgage and Housing Corporation provides a pretty good snapshot of which municipalities on the Lower Mainland are doing a good job of adding rental stock and those that aren't. Kristen Robinson has the details. While Vancouver, along with the district and city of North Vancouver, added new rental housing stock between October 2021 and 2022, Jens von Bergman, who crunched the latest CMHC data, says other municipalities have yet to catch up. Burnaby, Richmond are lagging behind. Richmond, we just really have seen a fairly consistent loss over the last couple of years. The city of Richmond says the year-over-year -year numbers don't reflect 1,200 purpose-built rentals approved by council or under construction, while Burnaby says more than 12,000 rental units are currently in the development stream. District of Langley, they have added some rental. In the last year, there was a bit of a drop again, but the year before, there was a bit of a boost. Port Coquitlam has added some rental in um, sort of the recent years. The last cycle, though, nothing really got added. Port Coquitlam says the stats represent building permit work during the pandemic and a new mix of rental housing is in the works. Really, there's a bit of a lag. This year, we've seen a record number of development projects, 75% faster than we were going just five years ago. Across Metro Vancouver, the data also highlights a lack of three-bedroom rentals for families. The Immigrant Services Society says it's increasingly difficult to find affordable housing for record numbers of newcomers arriving in BC. It is delaying their settlement process. If they don't have a permanent address, it means that we're having to put them into temporary short-term transitional housing for longer periods of time. Many of those mayors I've actually had a chance to talk to and they have actually understood that they need to have a, a really wide mix of type of housing available in their communities and are actually all looking at strategies to do that. UBC's Tom Davidoff supports the idea of creating a naughty list for jurisdictions which don't build enough rentals or add sufficient density, especially wealthy municipalities with mostly single-family homes. And I think the province needs to tell those municipalities you got to get with the program. You have to add more multifamily housing or else we are taking your land use planning over. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Just ahead, a hit and run tragedy in Nanaimo. The mystery of how and when it happened coming up next. It's busy both ways over at the Lionsgate Bridge. Traffic is down to one lane in both directions as they switch the lanes over. Most of the congestions at the north end lined up out of West Vancouver on Marine Drive and Taylor Way. Through Kermac Cares for Kids, expert repair for your vehicle helps provide expert care for kids. When you choose Kermac, you choose to support BC Children's Hospital. Kermac Cares for Kids. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. Nanaimo RCMP are investigating an apparent hit and run after a man was found dead on the side of the road this morning. A passerby was out for a walk around 7 o'clock in the morning when they discovered the body and called police. Officers and BC Coroner Service arrived to the scene on the north side of Harewood Mines Road. Mounties say the victim has been identified as a 34-year-old man of no fixed address. And anyone who has any information is being asked to come forward. A Courtney City Councilor has been placed on mandatory leave after being charged with assault. David Frisch was charged last week. According to court records, the assault is alleged to have occurred on January 7th against an unnamed victim. 
Following a court appearance Thursday, Frisch was released on bail. He has been a councillor for eight years. He was first elected in 2014, and he's due back in court next month. With the provincial government delaying any decision on the future of policing in Surrey, there is more uncertainty for the officers belonging to both sides of the city's police forces. While a decision from the province was supposed to be made by the end of the month, yesterday Public Safety Minister Mike Farnworth said the government still needs more information. That delay is causing a lot of concern about hiring and retention for both the Surrey RCMP and the Surrey Police Service. For the moment, the Surrey Police Service has stopped hiring new officers. We all know it doesn't matter if it's policing or ambulance or nursing or doctors. Right now in British Columbia and around the world, hiring professionals is difficult and certainly with policing, it doesn't matter if it's RCMP or it's city police, municipal police, all forces are having a challenge. For its part, the, SP, uh, sorry, the SPS will only say that the minister and government should be given time and space to make the decision free of continued conflict. Coming up, a special weather statement for the weekend. We'll get the latest from Christy. And a new poll shows Canadian pride in health care is slipping. There's a massive amount of dissatisfaction. How Canadians feel about our universal health care system and the same stats about how Americans feel about theirs. And finding a balance. A young BC inventor made famous by her flashlight charts a new path for herself and inspires others along the way. Good evening. Traffic is easing off both ways over at the Oak Street Bridge now, but do remember there's overnight construction southbound on Highway 99 just south of Bridge Deck from 9 p.m. to 5 a.m. Today's Lotto Max jackpot is an estimated $26 million. Lotto Max, dream to the max. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. This next story will make you think about what you were doing in grade 10. Ten years ago, at the age of 15, Anne Makazinski invented an LED flashlight that never needs batteries. It was a one-of-a-kind creation, earning her a place in Forbes' 30 under 30 list. Well, Kylie Stanton caught up with her to see how she's reinventing herself. So I'm heavy in the writing process. The words come easily when at just 25 you have quite a story to tell. But for Anne Makazinski, the hard part uh, is where to start. I, I, have so, I have so many different things. We first met Makazinski a decade ago when the then 16-year-old invented the hollow flashlight powered entirely by thermal energy. And hopefully if my hands are warm, it'll light up. And more inventions followed, <laughs> landing her a spot on both Forbes and Time magazine's 30 under 30 lists, as well as some major television appearances. I'm going to work for her one day. But when it came time to decide what to do after graduation, she chose to forego all expectations. I ended up, much to my parents' chagrin, turning down an engineering scholarship, and I asked to go into the Arts One program instead at UBC. The schedule has allowed Makazinski to find a balance, continuing to work on her inventions on the side. The eyes will light up. While tackling other pursuits, like acting and public speaking. 
all scientists to some degree need empathy. They need. I really enjoyed the growing experience of trying to do science and art in my life. But now things are finally coming full circle. Kaczynski has been named one of the judges in Samsung Canada's Solve for Tomorrow contest, where youth ages 16 to 25 are encouraged to use STEM-based learning and Samsung technology to bring about solutions to real-world issues. I'm a big believer in, like, you don't need to wait till your high school or university degree is done to make a positive impact. You can do it at any age. That message is being heard by her fans, particularly young girls and women who write from around the world. You are the best. <laughs> so cute. And now, by writing this book, tentatively titled The Inventing Mindset, she hopes she can reach an even broader audience. I'm working on my chapter four. Encouraging others to pursue whatever their passions may be, one word at a time. I've just wanted anybody who looks at my work to feel inspired to pursue whatever they want to do. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Pretty sure that'll happen. In Health Matters tonight, some surprising results from a new survey on health care indicating just how serious Canada's health care crisis is. The Leger poll finds far more Canadians are worried about health care than Americans are. Paul Johnson reports. Whenever Americans make fun of us, many Canadians take it in stride, grateful for the good things we have that they don't. While catastrophic medical debt is commonplace in the U.S., Canadians are much less likely to lose their homes when they get sick. But is the shine coming off of our universal medical system? It is a source of personal pride for Canadians. We hang our hat on our national identity through our healthcare system. And for the most part, we've been proud of it. Veteran pollster Steve Mossop wanted to see how Canadians are feeling about healthcare in the post-pandemic era and how that stacked up against what Americans think about their system. He found an opinion gap of a size he says is almost unheard of. This measurable gap between the U.S. and Canada at this point in time is the highest I think we, we've ever seen it. Mossop found that while 86% of Canadians polled said they're worried about health care, a substantially smaller 50% of Americans were worried about their own system. Asked the other way, 74% of Americans said they thought their health care was good, while only 54% of Canadians responded positively. What's even more shocking to me is the radical difference between uh, the Americans' point of view on their system versus us. The results would appear counterintuitive to Canadians shocked by the medical billing horror stories that regularly emerge from the U.S. When asked about the poll Friday, Health Minister Adrian Dix wasn't surprised noting that concern over health care has become one of the most prominent issues. The people are concerned? No. Um, if you ask me if I was concerned, I'd, I'd be in that list, you know, uh, in, a, in a survey. Minister Dix and his provincial and federal counterparts have made many high-profile announcements in recent weeks about new ways to fix what many are calling a crisis. That Americans now are apparently happier with their system than we are with ours may qualify as its own crisis for proud Canadians. Paul Johnson, Global News. Still ahead, battling the blizzard. I can't see. Yeah, I can't see a thing. 
Body cam video of police rescuing people in Buffalo during last month's historic snowstorm. The brutal conditions officers were up against. Plus, hey, Vladdy goes viral. The Toronto Blue Jays first baseman who was born in Canada gets some laughs trying to pronounce Saskatoon. Join the new Global BC Arts and Culture Scene segment as we explore all the people and places that make our creative community so special. So come make the scene. The Global BC Arts and Culture Scene on Global BC and BC One. Some harrowing moments caught on camera during a blizzard in Buffalo, New York last month that are just coming to light. The city's police department now releasing body cam footage of several rescues at the height of that storm. Where's, where's home? On December 23rd and 24th, officers worked in these treacherous conditions to bring people to safety. In one case, police came across a woman stranded in her car experiencing chest pains. They tried transporting her to hospital in their patrol car, but it got stuck and they eventually had to walk her the rest of the way. Another officer led eight people to safety by walking in the middle of the road with a flashlight. The storm saw four feet of snow accumulate in Buffalo. Local officials call it a once-in-a-generation blizzard. Unbelievable stuff. Winter is going to hit here, and especially in one little corner of the province, too, despite <laughs> all that sunshine. Right, Christy? That's right. So we're going to talk about the cold and the sunshine that's on the way for most of the province. But there's one area that's getting hit hard. And Linda sent me this photo. She's like, not all areas are going to be enjoying sunshine. 10 to uh, 15 centimeters has fallen in the region. This is Cranbrook today. And there's a, going to be another 5 to 10 overnight. Not to worry, though, Linda. It will shift out of your region. So there it is shifting down across the region. By afternoon hours, you'll be enjoying sunshine as well. And it's going to be cold. So here's a quick look at what we're expecting. Tomorrow, through Throughout the day, areas from north to central parts of the province will actually see a drop in temperature throughout the day. It won't be as cold across southern BC or across the south coast. We'll be near seasonal for sort of one more day. But Saturday night into Sunday, that's when the Arctic air continues to shift to the south and out towards the coast. What does that look like? Well, here's a look at some of the overnight lows. So minus 20 in the central and northern parts of the province, wind chills of minus 30 there, and a range from minus 10 to minus 15 in through the southern interior. For the south coast or metro Vancouver region, we'll see a range from minus 5 to minus 9 across the lower mainland and a little bit warmer across Vancouver Island. But that's the uh, extent of our cold snap and we are going to see sort of two days of it, Sunday and Monday before temperatures warm up. We're also going to see strong outflow winds, gusts potentially up to 60 kilometers an hour and it's the combination of that cold Arctic air with the winds that make it feel quite cold. So areas like the Fraser Valley, you can expect those Take a little while for you to get there. We're still expecting significant snow overnight. And for our region, we'll see some cloud cover tomorrow, but we are expecting a clearing. We didn't see a clearing today, and we were hoping for it, but we really are expecting that to happen tomorrow because of that Arctic outflow that we'll start to see. Big drop in temperature Sunday, Monday, as you can see here, with the potential for snow on Tuesday. But we are going to warm up on Tuesday as that moisture pushes in. So we'll have to sort of get into the details of that on Monday, and we'll be working hard for you on that. Here's a look at tonight's Central Windows weather window coming to you from Sayward. Because Vancouver Island did see the sunshine today, it was just the lower mainland that had a hard time breaking out of the cloud. Okay, Chris, back to wow, you. Wow, is that ever a great shot. Thanks very much. Yeah.
Christy, and I'll include her in this, Sophie Squire, too, who just walked into the studio. We're all supposed to be professionals when it comes to pronunciations, but look, even we mess up sometimes. So it's with some empathy and compassion that we show the struggles of Blue Jays superstar Vladdy Guerrero Jr. Hey, Sakatun. Saskatoon. Guerrero Jr. got the giggles, just like some of us around here, while promoting an upcoming appearance at a celebrity dinner in the Bridge City. Vladdy, who was actually born in Montreal, got a little help on his pronunciation from Hector Torres, the Jays' bilingual interpreter, and he did eventually nail it. Did we hear him say it? Oh, we didn't even... I'm sure he got Saskatoon. <laughs> I thought we were going to hear him say it. Well, yeah. sorry, Vladdy. Yeah. We'll get just when you go sure to the dinner, it. just go, hello, everybody. Don't even mention the town. <laughs> That's right. Well, they'll be... Ha Canucksley earlier than this one? <laughs> he, he, they will be happy to see him exactly. in Saskatoon no matter what. Yep. Uh, okay, you got a few names that you got to pronounce in sports tonight. Well, you know what? I mean, um, someone who is trying to learn English and is starting to uh, pick it up rather quickly is Andre Kuzmenko, of course, of the Vancouver Canucks. Signed a new contract yesterday. He loves Vancouver. He's glad he's staying. And he also, despite some detractors, loves his hair. Like, yes, as a lot of people, as a please change haircut, I know, no, no, no. no. <laughs> We'll talk more about how uh, super happy he is that he gets to stay in Vancouver beyond this season. Also coming up, let's fly into okay. the weekend with satellite Snuggets. debris. Not gonna lie, I've thought about Kuzmenko donating some hair to me. You wouldn't. I don't you think wouldn't it's notice possible. it missing on his head. <laughs> no, you wouldn't. No, he's got he's got the full growth going. He has hair that a lot of men envy. Yep. And they had to get a special helmet probably to fit it all in. Uh, tonight's game against Columbus, a team below Vancouver in the standings, a team below everybody in the standings. They are at the bottom right now. This will be Vancouver's uh, last game until February 6th. So far this week, the Canucks have been like Harvey Dent to their new head coach, Rick Taka, the old Batman villain. They've been two-faced. Uh, in the first game against Chicago, the Canucks looked like they actually understood what Tockett and his assistant coach were talking about when they mentioned defensive structure. Then in Seattle, they looked like the same team that got Travis Green and Bruce Boudreau both fired in just over a year. Tockett still doesn't know all the issues he has to deal with with this new team he's coaching, but there is one issue he has noticed already. We, gotta, we have to get the mindset different around here. There's got to be more trust with it. Everybody in that locker room, is, there's, there's a little bit of mistrust, and um, that's my job to make sure it's trusting. I've only been here a week, and there's, there's, there's got to be a different mindset and a different trust. There's no, the trust is there. We've got to find it. Now, we have already talked, we did this yesterday, about how using Andre Kuzmenko in a trade would probably have gotten the Vancouver Canucks back, a high draft pick or a good young prospect, but that's not going to happen now. He signed a two-year contract yesterday. So, 
Let's accentuate the positive about him staying. He is in his prime scoring year. He's about to be 27 years old. He has very good chemistry with Elias Patterson, which certainly helps. And the way he scores a lot of his goals, in close to the net, going in the high traffic zones without fear, that's something that's also an impressive trait, especially for somebody who is new to the NHL. But beyond that, he is well-liked by his teammates, and he loves it in Vancouver. And he loves his hair, no matter what any of us think of it. Oh, I like it. I want a lot of, yes. Have you heard the expression, the higher the hair, the closer to God? You don't like my hair? I love it. <laughs> Thank you. The new two-year contract that starts next season means Kuzmenko's salary will have grown more than his hair. He goes from 950000 per season to $5.5 million. But he didn't want any part of the negotiations. Yesterday, is, uh, my agent called with me, is Andy. Let's go. I, okay, no problem. I trust you. It's, it's uh, not my work. It's your work. Yes, I'm just a hockey player. <laughs> but more than the money, Kuzmenko had told his agent he wasn't keen on signing with a different team next season, and he didn't want to be traded. Staying in Vancouver was his number one priority. Yes, I liked uh, Vancouver. Yes, it's for me, it's a very important moment in the, because I uh, don't like think as a second tier in NHL. His new city, new team, for me, is a done good situation. I mean, he's uh, he's always got a smile on his face. He, you know, um, his English is getting better, which is, is good to see. Um, and he's obviously it's nice to have Mick, uh, you know, Mick around to, to help him out. But he's um, no, he's been great to have around him. What do you make of the hair? It's terrible. Um, <laughs> yeah, now we, I've seen a lot of comments saying now you can afford a haircut. So um, now it's uh, he. Uh, He's got to do something with it. It's, it's getting out of hand. I like it. Yes, there's a lot of people with a please change haircut. I know, no, no, no. no. So, well, maybe after season, yes, why not? <laughs> All right. The, um, well, as we said, the new two-year contract that starts next season means Kuzmenko's salary has grown more than his hair. Okay, let's talk about the Vancouver Whitecaps because uh, the Whitecaps feel they have enough depth to start the season, which is going to be extra busy. They are in Champions League, so they'll have that and the regular season as well for MLS. But they are still looking for another striker. Now, they made a concerted effort to get a striker named Ty Beribo off Wolfsburger of Austria, but that bid has fallen through. To rub salt in the wound, Ty Beribo actually scored against Vancouver in an exhibition game over in Spain. The Caps had been after him for a few months, but in the end, his team just wasn't selling. And uh, it was not anything uh, about offer or um, it's nothing about negotiations. It's just the club is not open to move him right now. So with that, the Whitecaps boss now has to change his focus right away and try a new target. We have a plan B, C. We probably also have D, E and F. Um, I'm, I remain confident that we will find the right one and that it will not take forever and it is not a mid-season signing, it will be a pre-season signing, but we have nothing yet on paper ready to sign. Okay, so no Ty Baribo, but somebody will be here sooner or later to help out Ryan Gall, Brian White and the rest of the Whitecaps. There you go. He is worthy of the slot. Thanks very much, Squire. Coming right up, satellite debris.
Jordan Armstrong's on the night beat tonight. Standing by now with a preview of what's coming up on Global News at 11. Jordan? Chris, City of Vancouver is using a new tool to help pay for the FIFA World Cup in 2026. Beginning next month, overnight visitors to Vancouver will be charged $2.50 on each $100 paid on short-term accommodations. At 11, we'll tell you how much revenue the city hopes the tax will bring in. Plus, more than 100 cattle seized from a B.C. property, why the SPCA says the animals were being neglected tonight at 11. Chris? All right, sounds good. Thanks very much, Jordan. Squire and Christy are in now. Let's take a look at satellite debris, shall we? Yes, it's too bad uh, Sophie's not here because I know she likes her uh, animals that act like people. Yeah. Anthropomorphic bears feature very strongly in tonight's satellite debris. In fact, that's where we're going to start. Uh, this one is from Germany, but they also did one in English. Here we go. Salmon. Free bear, free salmon. Real taste. Hey. Vegan salmon from Goodfeet. <laughs> Try now. Yeah, you got a mullet and a guy in a bear suit. That's entertainment. It's a winner right there. Okay, <laughs> speaking of entertaining, Andreas Hemley of Norway uh, can do many things. He's mainly uh, known for his wingsuit adventures, but here he combines it with a snowboard. Snowboard very briefly, though. Mm -hmm. <coughs> That's not how you normally ride okay. a snowboard. No. Snuggets. But this is also normally not what you do with a snowboard. You don't usually oh purposely goodness. go off a cliff. Geronimo. Wow. But he doesn't hit the mountains. What? It always gets me how close these guys are to the mountains. But he doesn't hit it. And he, yeah. Look at this. He's doing some Blue Angel stuff, too. <laughs> Crazy. I like how he actually nice. looked just to see if anybody was coming. <laughs> in case there was a plane coming. <laughs> he shoulder checks? He shoulder checked. <laughs> Always a safe move, even if you're in the middle of thin air. Or I guess it's not so thin at that point. Anyway, he survived. He's all good. good. Uh, okay, back to bears. This one for John West. Welcome to the Lunchtime Social Feed, presented by John West. Today, Chef Bear prepares another easy and tasty lunch, tuna and bean burritos. You'll need a can of John West fiery tangy jalapeno tuna, one large tortilla, a quarter of an avocado, red kidney beans, half a cup of baby spinach leaves, tasty cheese, sour cream, and lime cheek for serving. 
Let's begin with the spinach leaves. Now add the avocado and kidney beans. Next, the John West fiery tangy jalapeno tuna. Then, sprinkle with cheese. Yes, great sprinkling. Now, simply wrap, add sour cream and lime to serve. Perfect. For something different, heat in a sandwich press. Here's one we prepared earlier. Delicious. John West did a commercial years ago where a fisherman and a bear got into a fight. Oh, was that very the one famous, with... I very famous that. one. That goes yeah. back a long way, but it was actually it went all over the internet and it was it's well known for people who are commercial aficionados. But there's another example of John West using the bear. Keeping it weird yep. with the bear. Okay, uh, special weather statement. Uh, we'll maybe end with that before we go here, Christy. Sure. So uh, central northern parts of the province will see a drop in temperature tomorrow. The more significant drop for southern B.C. and south coast will occur sort of Saturday night into Sunday. And uh, we are expecting highs of regionally one degree Sunday, zero on Monday, and then we'll start to warm up. That's when we have a chance of snow, but uh, there's a lot of uncertainty there. So enjoy the sunshine right now. Sorry for those folks in Cranbrook area getting buried right now, but we're going to enjoy that sunshine, no doubt about it. Have a great weekend, everybody. Thanks for watching.